Greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome back to the arcade. We are your video game podcast here with you for the week of Friday, June 19th of the year 2020. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, who's glad to be back with you once again here as we continue on through the month of June as time seems to have ramped back up and is, uh, is back up to around, say, what, warp seven? Warp eight? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we were at impulse power, then it's definitely gone, well, it's at least gone back into warp, like where, you know, it's, it's unclear how fast warps are supposed to actually be, but yeah, we're, we're definitely up there now. It, it, you know, possibly some low level warp, warp three, warp four, when the Enterprise wants to get somewhere, but not that fast. Yeah. Yeah, so time just moving right along, but you're here with us experiencing it. We are here with you also experiencing it. We're all experiencing it together. Yes, you are Mike the Legend, as you said, and this week I'm Dennis, the man who finds it funny that the Wikipedia page for Stephen King's Dark Tower series breaks the series' novels down by word and page count. (laughs) It's a very wordy nickname you have uh, written for yourself this week. Well, let's just say I was inspired by Stephen King. How long did it take you to bang that one out? Uh, you know, a few minutes. <laughs> just like Stephen King. <laughs> have you sold the film rights already? Uh, I'm working on it. Nice. I, I might want to, you know, write the novel. I might want to write three or four different short stories based around this idea, though, just so I can have more, you know, options for movies. Like, you know... I'll have my Shawshank Redemption, and but you know, I'll write a couple other prison stories, so I can also have my Green Mile and you know, a couple other things, so things like that. Exactly. You don't want to be a one-trick pony when you go to the studios for the film rights. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I you know uh, through whatever means today, I kind of happened upon the Dark Tower series page on Wikipedia. You know, perusing it, just kind of thinking. You know, it's one of those things where I've you know been thinking for years. Like, do I start? Reading the Dark Tower, it seems really daunting. And then, of course, on Wikipedia, they actually list all of the books in the series chronologically, or I guess not chronologically, I guess there were a couple of books written after the fact that were kind of like shoehorned in, but you know, it was like a part A or part B or whatever you epilogue. Know, preamble to Pre- the whole thing. Yeah, whatever the thing. One of them's a preamble, one of them is a continuation of the fourth book. Anyways... Stephen King does weird things sometimes, but yeah, they, they basically list all what looks to be nine books in the series on the page, and uh, yeah, they break them down by number of pages and number of words, and then they provide a total count across the whole series, and apparently the entire Dark Tower series um, totals 4,316 pages and has 1,358,065 words. Good, sweet lord. That's, bear in mind, that is only nine of Stephen King's books. Stephen King has written apparently 66 novels and 200 short stories. So, damn. He's written a lot. All in one afternoon. <laughs> well, you know, he well, did sorry, a, lot, a long weekend. He, he did do a lot of coke in the 80s. So <laughs> let's just. Let's be clear about that. All those late night sessions, that's how you power through. That's how you get a lot of words on the page in short order. And that's how you meet deadlines. Yeah. Coke and a word processor. Done. Just some old Apple II and a mirror and a credit card right next to you. Yeah. 
Pretty much. That, that's a writer's retreat. <laughs> I mean, yeah, somewhere in the wilderness of Maine. That's how you bang out Skeleton Key, 1408, uh, things of that nature. Yeah. You know, where in a fever dream you get the idea for the running man. Exactly. Yeah, just... <laughs> a coke-induced fever dream. Yeah. Or like, Which so- then you need more coke to help bang out this script and treatment for. Yeah, and then, you know, sometimes that falls to being weird parts in things like It, where for some reason there's questionable orgy parts in that book, where you're like, why is this here? This is uncomfortable. Huh. Wonder how they're going to do this in the movie. Hope they don't do this in the movie. That's pretty problematic. Huh. Hmm. But, uh. That'd yeah. be someone else's problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that is a lot of words. That is one point. Now, seeing these numbers for the page count and word count, has this swayed one way or the other your uh, thought of uh, maybe getting into the Dark Tower series. Yes. In which direction? Why don't you guess? It's, it's made it more goddamn daunting. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was thinking, ah, you know, they're like a few, like, couple hundred page books. You know, I can read those. Oh, the first couple are like, oh, the, they're the first one's like a short story, 66 pages, and The Gunslinger's only 224 pages. Then it's 400 pages, then 512, then 787. And then the very last Dark Tower book is 845 pages. Like, like well, you gotta wrap the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah. And then the hilarious thing about this, th- there's, there's a section on the Wikipedia page called, uh, that's titled con- like continuation. I was gonna say continuation, but that's not how you pronounce that word. Continuation. Um, where apparently the whole series was declared finished. And then, uh, yeah, Stephen King said regarding the Dark Tower, and I quote, it's not really done yet. Those seven books are really just sections of one long Uber novel. And he confirmed it, blah, blah, blah. Though this basically all culminated in some thing he wrote in 2012, 2011, released in 2012. But I don't know if that means that the door's always open for him to be writing more stuff regarding the Dark Tower? It sounds like it might be. (laughs) And those are just entries in the official and proper Dark Tower series. Some of the characters, themes, places, and elements from the Dark Tower story and universe have spun out and been parts in other Stephen King works. Yeah, uh, they... The, I don't know why we're talking about Stephen King all of a sudden. Just, it's kind of interesting just to kind of bring it up. Well, once just, you start digging into a kind of his work and go beyond just his name and being known as the horror writing king. Yeah, he's done a lot more than just that. Like, yeah, he's primarily known for that, but he's done a lot of stuff. Like, there's also connections. Yeah, like you were saying, connections to other works, uh, connections to the Dark Tower in other works of his, including things like, it, The Stand, Salem's Lot, Insomnia, Hearts of Atlantis, Eyes of the Dragon, The Shining, and Cell. And yeah, like it's kind of weird, though, when you start looking into the stuff that Stephen King wrote, it's kind of crazy how much the like, general pop culture he's kind of responsible for. That you would never really know or think that he's had some influence in, either. Yeah, like we mentioned The Running Man. I didn't actually realize that that was a Stephen King story 
until like a few weeks ago, really, when I was looking into it. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That was Stephen King? Really? It was one of his uh, short stories, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, given the fact we know it as an 80s uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie vehicle, why would you ever think there was any sort of touch from Stephen King to it? You wouldn't. No. Like, it's... Like, the horror guy? Running Man's not really a horror movie. No. And also, if you look at uh, some of the works he did, uh, I'm thinking primarily of movie adaptations, because so much of his works have been adapted into film. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to point out The Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, they're not... I mean, Green Mile is weird. Green Mile is weird, but... <clears throat> but it's not a horror movie. No. And The Shawshank Redemption is, like, maybe a lot of people's go-to kind of saccharine, feel-good movie. Absolutely. And Stephen <laughs> King, the master of horror, wrote that. Yeah. You know what else he wrote? Stand By Me. That's true, too. Like, that's not a horror movie at all. Yeah, there's a part where they it's like, hey, kid, you want to see a dead body? But, yeah. And that terrifying scene in the movie with the train. But that's about it. Like, that's it's not a horror movie. I mean, terrifying. Suspenseful. Yeah. It's not like being chased by a you know, an axe-wielding maniac or anything. But yeah, it's just a suspenseful, you know, oh God, they're going to get run over by a train. Ah. And of but course they... Then they didn't. Yeah. You know, it's like, because that's not the type of movie or whatever it was. But yeah, it's like a lot of weird things like that. The Dead Zone isn't even really like a horror movie. It's just kind of a weird suspenseful thing. True too. And, and I say movie, because, you know, I've experienced most Stephen King stuff through movies and TV shows and stuff, and that's how a lot of us probably have. Like, not everyone's a big voracious reader, but yeah, pop culture in general, like, he, he's really laid a stamp on it. He sure has. And once you start pulling back the layers and looking beyond the maybe handful of well-known horror titles he's worked on that uh, come to mind, of course, most notably it because of its very successful uh, recent redos of film adaptations, uh, He's he's done and contributed a whole lot, and what what is there? What else is there to say? The man has a penchant for words. He he can spin a good yarn. Yeah, he's got a penchant for a lot of words. Yes, they just flow, and once they stop, you just uh, you got to go with it and roll with it. And feel sorry for the editor. Just whenever that's dropped off, the first draft, boom, six thousand pages. <laughs> yeah, have it ready by Monday. Yep. Sorry. So that's Stephen King, uh, which I'm sure uh, you may have seen some of his uh, winks, nods, references to his works in something like The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Uh, a plenty, especially in the early years of um, yeah. The Simpsons. The, yeah, like the, a lot of the early Treehouse, for, Treehouse of Horrors, kind of like, I mean, there was other classic things that they made reference to, but like a lot of Stephen King type ideas were definitely on display there. And, uh, yeah, well, Munch of the Simpsons were sort of, like, really good uh, reporters of culture at the time, up to that point, anyways, so. They were, and uh, <laughs> the reason we are trying to transition from Stephen King to the Simpsons is to get to our first ludicrous lead-off this week, and you may have seen in some early years episodes of The Simpsons, Bart playing some kind of video game from The Simpsons world. Uh, of course, there's the uh, episode, uh, I think that 
that features video games the most, which is Marge Be Not Proud. Yeah. Which is the Christmas episode from season eight. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm not gonna specifically fact check it, but it's it's the one where Bart wants Bone Storm. Yes. And doesn't get Bone Storm and then ends up getting caught for shoplifting and all that whole thing happens. But yeah. See in the episode <laughs> what, like so in the episode uh Towards the end of the episode, it's not really a spoiler at this point. It, it's a it's a twenty year old show. Like you should have seen the episode by now. Yeah, and it won't really spoil anything. It's still funny when you watch it on its own. But in the episode, Bart really wants Bonestorm, and finally, like you know, after he's learned his lesson, and whatever, and he's back on in the good graces of you know Marge and Homer, they they decide to get him a present after all, you know, and get him hopefully what he Marge says. Here's that game you wanted. And he opens it up, and it's Lee Carvalho's putting challenge. And he's just not excited at all. And then at the very end of the episode, it just basically shows Bart playing through the game. <laughs> and it's it's one of the classic moments, you know, where, you know, it, like it, it's trying to guide you through lightly tapping a, you know, like putting a ball into the hole, into the hole like on the putter. But for some stupid reason included in the game, there's like other... <laughs> other clubs are available. Other clubs are available and like other types of swinging are available. This, it goes through this whole thing where it's like, may I suggest putter? You selected nine iron or what was it like three, three wood, wood? Three wood. Three wood. It's like, may I suggest feather touch? You selected power drive. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, press some sequence of keys and then, and then he hits it. It's like ball is in parking lot. Would you like to play again? You've selected no. <laughs> so that's like the whole joke, and it's, it's it's hilarious. But someone, like, so this is why this is the ludicrous lead-off. Someone finally made that into a real game. Yes, they did. This kind of came about last weekend in wide prominence when former Simpsons writer and executive producer Bill Oakley tweeted about it and put a link to it to the work that was done by, I believe, Aaron Demeter is the person's name. And they have it up on a an itch.io page, or itch.io page. And it is, it's an HTML5, but of course it looks and kind of plays like an old Flash game, but it is replicating what we saw in that very end credits uh, joke from that episode of The Simpsons, so you can play through. I'm putting playthrough in quotation marks here. Yeah, of course. Lee Carvalho's putting challenge. Now, playthrough, I'm putting that in air quotes for a reason, because there's not much gameplay to it. No, it's basically just a funny choose-your-own-adventure book. Like, <clears throat> like they, they let you play the game, quote-unquote, correctly, where you just choose the putter and choose the feather touch and press the keys and go, and you're done. Fine. It's good. Very anticlimactic. Yeah, it's like, and then I still ask, would you like to play again? Whatever, but like you can, you can play it exactly the way Bart plays it, and yeah, it's, it's funny. I think the funniest part about it though, is when you select no, nothing happens, you can't do anything else, and Carvalho just kind of stands there. <laughs> so it's like, I guess what would no be in a game like that? What, what would you expect that to end up being. In theory, it would take you back to the start screen, but I guess it's even funnier if it's just left there, because yeah. there's no credits to cut it right off and go to. Yeah. So now you just have the awkward moment of 
the computer representation of Lee Carvalho, who is not a real person. Uh, it was based on uh, the golfer from the early 90s, Lee Trevino. Yep. Who had a golf game for the NES called Lee Trevino's Fighting Golf. Yep. Which did not involve fighting, but did involve golf. Yeah. I also seem to recall it being not particularly fun. This is how history has judged it. Yeah. It is an early NES golf game. You are better off sticking with, uh, I believe, what, NES Open? Yeah, which is fun. And it's sort of like set up, you know, a a few game mechanics uh, for later golf games that we, you know, seem to know and love with that meter that goes up and down and faster whenever they have to press the button twice kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so (laughs) this is fun. This did get me kind of like looking through the Twitter or the, uh, the Twitter, the Twitter thread of, you know, um, responses and stuff to um, Bill Oakley. And someone did point out that someone had made a couple of Simpsons games previously. um, And they were available. I think they were on, uh, Newgrounds. The Newgrounds, yeah. Someone had actually recreated that Waterworld game. <laughs> that it cracked me up a lot because, um, it, like, it wasn't as perfect as the Lee Carvalho putting challenge. Like, neither, neither of the games were. Um, but the Waterworld one was really funny because it was basically the, it was a mouse game where you control hands picking up quarters and putting them into the machine. <laughs> you have to do it 40 times. <laughs> And then you just basically walk one step. It's like, game over. Please insert 40 quarters. That's the whole thing. <laughs> so, like, that was appreciated, how ridiculous it was. And uh, the other one was a, uh, I believe, a bandit game? Yeah. Some, was, some kind of robber bandit? Yeah, it was one that they played. Oh, I think, Looter, uh, Larry the Looter. Yeah, Larry the Looter. Larry the Looter, yeah. So it was basically, I don't know how accurate it was actually to the episode, but. Or how long the actual game was. It was, it was difficult, though, and yeah, I did. Uh, I did play Larry the Looter, uh, and I can say I got past the section where the street level shopkeep just blasts your head off with a shotgun. I managed to get past him, though. As you go along, you kind of pass uh, a few more sections, and there's a dog that comes out and. No matter what you do, he seems to get you. If you try to jump over, he will jump and get you. If you walk, the dog will you know, attack you and uh, you'll die because you have no health points. Yeah, so there, there's probably no game beyond a certain point no. and the dog just kind of ends it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the short flash games, but yeah, it's... Yeah, it, I, I gotta say, bless you, Crazy Simpsons fans. Keep making your stuff. I believe even those two ones, the uh, Waterworld and Larry the Looter, were both done by Aaron Demeter, who did this Lee Carvalho putting challenge. Oh. So now I would like to see him tackle Bonestorm. Well, yeah, or Touch of Death, or whatever. Or Touch of Death, yes, there's a there's a couple. Or, uh, ooh, the other one I'm thinking of that we always see in the background of any scene in the Quickie Mart is Great White Hunt. Yep. It's, uh, I believe, a very bright green cabinet. It looks to be a gun-mounted shooting game where you're probably hunting in the Arctic. Now, we've never seen a character play that one, but that leaves a lot of room for creative interpretation. So, Aaron Demeter, if you are out there and just so happen to be listening to this program at this time, there you go. That's uh, something else you could possibly tackle is uh, Great White Hunt. Indeed. Get on it. So that is that. We have a link to the Lee Carvalho putting challenge 
on our homepage, thearcadeshow.com. And we recommend you check it out. It is moments of fun. I believe there's only four possible outcomes in that game, so you can get through it pretty darn quick. But we'll move on to our next pair of ludicrous leadoffs. I say pair because they are two different stories, but they revolve around a central theme. That central theme being that uh, KFC has some very crazy marketing these days. If you weren't aware, whatever firm, whatever agency that uh, is handling the KFC marketing count is they're out there and no idea is uh too crazy no idea is too wild no idea is too uh too irresistible to uh, actually engage with for the kfc brand absolutely um yeah um well i guess what would have i guess years ago they would have like if it was still popular they would have had a presence in um in uh, second, I almost called Half Life. Second Life, that's what it's called, but it's not popular anymore. It's not. So there's no reason to know what it is. That'd so, be a waste of resources. Yeah, the the new hotness these days is Animal Crossing. You know, New Horizons. Every like everyone and their dog seems to be getting in on Animal Crossing, like New Horizons. Even uh, uh, progressive senator. I don't remember what state she is, but Alexandra Ocasio. Oh, Congresswoman. Uh, yeah, yes, Congresswoman in the states. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yes, from she, uh, New York. Yeah, she was doing some campaigning, you know, just by basically traveling to people's Animal Crossing islands. Hell, even even that's Eli- a clever idea. Yeah, even Elijah Wood basically was just like he he put a call out on Twitter, basically. No, sorry, it was someone posted something on Twitter basically talking about whatever fruit from their tree, and then they got a private message from Elijah Wood being like, hey, can I get your code? <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> so, so yeah, it, that's sort of like the thing these days. So, so as the world seems to tear itself apart, Animal Crossing is there to try and stitch it back together. Yeah. And bring us all back together as one. We are all just animals on an island trying to look for shells and bugs and... uh just get some bells. Yeah, get some bells, catch some fish. Yeah. Yeah, and just uh, come up with some cool designs. But KFC is getting in on that new hotness. More specifically, uh, when I say KFC, I should clarify, KFC in the Philippines is getting in on that hotness. Yeah. Which, interesting that it's a very regional promotion done by the uh, Philippine chain of, or Philippine, Filipino arm of KFC uh, in the Philippines, but nevertheless, I wonder if this will expand to the North American territory, but the KFC Philippines Facebook uh, recently showed images of uh, an island all decked out in diner decor, representing and mimicking a KFC restaurant, and even the little villager was dressed up to look like Colonel Sanders himself. <laughs> As, as close as can be replicated in the world of Animal Crossing. So this is an actual island you can actually go visit for a very short time. It uh, is only going to be around and able to be visited until Monday, June 22nd. So if you don't get it or get to it by then, you will have missed out. It is something that uh, you uh, require a uh, dodo code uh, to get into the island. So beware of that. It's not something you can just freely get to or a free 
freely and easily get to. But the interesting thing about this island and what the uh, uh, Filipino KFC chain has done with it is, I mentioned the villager who's dressed as Colonel Sanders. He will be hiding somewhere on the island, and if you manage to find their Colonel Sanders on this KFC island, you will get a uh, code that you can redeem and get a free eight-piece bucket. It's a great idea. Now, again, this is only if you are in the Philippines, only available to residents in the Philippines. Yeah, so don't don't waste your Dodo code doing whatever if you're not in the Philippines. It's not going to work here. No. Uh, so certainly be aware of that. But uh, even as pointed out by uh, Jordan Oleman of IGN, this island, this KFC island, has an area that is entirely inaccessible, and that's apparently where Colonel Sanders stores his secret 11 herbs and spices. Of course he does. Yep. So this is really clever, and I wonder if we're going to see it uh, picked up on by other regions, other territories of KFC, uh, KFC America, looking at you. This seems like something that uh, you would be all up on, because KFC putting a real strong focus on the gaming community. Yeah. And which dovetails nicely into our next uh, story here, which almost was going to be a ludicrous lead-off, but... Yeah. I mean, it still counts as one. Yeah. It's a crazy idea. Yeah. Like, it, it was almost the... Like, I would say if the Lee Carvalho putting challenge didn't come out, this would have probably been it. Absolutely. But yeah, like, we... Yeah, it makes sense to talk about a couple of KFC things together, because they posted a very cryptic, crazy video on their Twitter, the KFC Gaming account did. Which also, there's a KFC Gaming Twitter account. Yeah, so that's the first thing, you know, if you remember, I want to say it was about maybe a little bit more than a year ago, they came out with that weird Bioshock kind of training video. Oh yeah, the VR one. Yeah, it was a VR thing, which I think maybe was the first endeavor done by the KFC Gaming entity. Mm -hmm. But then they've been kind of silent since until now when they released this video that was basically a reveal video for a gaming console. And when I was watching it, I had to, like, my first thought was, oh, this is an April Fool's joke. And then my next thought was, no, wait, we're in June. And then I watched the video to the very end, and there was a release date. So this whole platform, it looks like it's, it kind of looks like a like a like a bucket of chicken, mm-hmm. um, but it's a gaming console. And the really ridiculous thing—I don't know if it's going to be real or not—but it's got a warming drawer for chicken in the console. So, according to the uh, the cryptic video that was shown, it's apparently a 4K 120 FPS machine. It's called the KF console, as in KFC console. Yep. Which sounds very weird to say, but never does. fried console. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a warming drawer. It uh, it looks as big as like a twelve piece bucket. It uh, we don't know much more than that though, because it was shown primarily in shadow. Though there were, I believe, a trio of red stripes towards the top of the bucket shaped console. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke uh, about the uh, <clears throat> what KFC Gaming had done previously. I forgot. I totally forgot about the, the dating simulator. Oh, that that's right, the very with. anime dating simulator. Yeah, they came up with a basically a super anime dating simulator 
that they released on Steam called I Love You, Colonel Sanders, A Finger-Lickin' Good Dating Simulator. So, yeah. All right, then. Uh, so, yeah, back to the specs for this Back console. to the specs for this thing. 4K, 120 FPS, which is pretty much in line with uh, the, you know, contemporary machines we see of the day. But in some uh, responses to uh, people asking questions about this thing on Twitter, the KFC Gaming Twitter account also casually mentioned that uh, in terms of storage, it can store up to two terabytes. Yeah, which, you know, in terms of hard drive sizes isn't crazy, but in terms of modern gaming consoles, the PlayStation 5 is only going to have an 825 gigabyte hard drive. This is true. So, I mean, my knee-jerk response to that is, well, that's a small hard drive, but still, two terabytes is what the gaming console put out by KFC is going to have. KFC, the fast food chicken company, (laughs) is coming out. Yeah. So the release date shown at the end was 11-12-20, which can uh, be taken one way as November 12th of 2020 or December 11th of 2020. I'm inclined to believe it's November 11th. That is usually a month when new consoles come out for release, either September or November. Of course, Nintendo decided to buck the trend with the Switch, releasing it in March of 2017. Yeah. Being all weird and different. Yeah. And difficult that way. But nevertheless, uh, November is traditionally a month when we get new video game console console releases. And all we have really seen in the weeks since this was first posted is nothing. It's been fairly silent on KFC Gaming's account in regards to any sort of information or further details about this KF console. So all we have to go off of is the one video that was shown, the one video that was released last week, no further details, and we don't know for sure if this is going to be a joke. We don't know if this is an actual thing, but my own sense of things and my own uh, uh, takeaway from this is I'm inclined to think that, yeah, this is going to be a real and available video game console uh, made available to people. Now, I don't think it's going to be massively produced or widely available, but I can certainly see a special run of, say, a 100 or a 1,000 units made available uh, with, you know, regime whatever code. And uh, here's my thought. It's going to be a massively available console, but there's only going to be a 100 or so available with the chicken drawer. Oh, that's what I think is going to happen. Interesting. Because why would you put all this time and effort into a gaming console, claim that it has cross-platform capabilities, and probably also be a place to to basically release your own titles and maybe even have other first-party exclusives and then just have it be some sort of, like, limited edition thing. Seems like a lot of infrastructure to waste on, essentially, a vanity project. True, and under normal circumstances, that, uh, of course, would make it prohibitive for this to uh, even be such an idea that's entertained. But we are talking about KFC here, and the, the advertising company behind them, I do not know the name of the agency who has that account. Or maybe it's just an in-house uh, 
uh, add-in PR wing they have. <laughs> wing, pun not intended. Indeed. But uh, it's just some highly creative people. Wherever. Maybe it's outside the company, inside the company. I don't know. Whoever it is, they are, they are slightly crazy. But we've seen them release, uh, I believe, chicken or fried chicken scented sunscreen previously. As a real thing. I believe they did, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, so, but don't quote me on this. I believe they did fried chicken lip balm at some point too. So they will do crazy things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it seems weird if it was a joke. And I'm kind of hoping that this is going to actually be a hilarious weird pivot done by KFC to actually try to make inroads into an entirely different market. Like, just think about when Microsoft got into the gaming console world. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought it was a joke then, too. Because they're like, oh, like, Microsoft, like, the people that make Windows and, like, are in the computer world? Mm -hmm. Like, they're going to get into gaming? At the time, it made no sense. Yeah. Maybe this is going to be a new weird thing that just happens. Like, maybe KFC is going to be the next gaming powerhouse company. You know, the demographics align perfectly. They really do. Between their target audience and the target gaming, the, the core gamer demographic. Yeah. And also you can eat a piece of chicken in one hand and control your uh, controller with the other. Yeah. Somewhat awkwardly and clumsily, but... Or, I mean, they have various packages and containers of uh, popcorn chicken. Yeah. And Easily poppable uh, uh, things where you can just chew away as you control with both hands. So, yeah, this this opens up a, a ridiculous world of possibilities. I mean, it's the year 2020. Literally anything is possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The old rules, as as we have said for the last four years, no longer apply. Yeah, they, they're, they're out. Curse you, Chicago Cubs. You just had to win that World Series... Yeah, ever since they turned on the Large Hadron Collider, everything's kind of been a little bit off to the side. Yep. So, coincidence? Probably. Still, it's fun to say things like that. Coincidence? Likely. Causal? Definitely. <laughs> yes. But uh, let's move off the ludicrous lead-offs and into some stories that involve... Some crazy amounts that we are going to talk about. No, not crazy amounts of fried chicken that someone can eat in one sitting. This is not going to become a major league eating podcast. Uh, I believe there are other podcasts out there like that called The Forkful. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's actually the name <laughs> or something. It's like, really? I mean, that's a good name. We should get on that. Better name just came to me? The Mouthful. The Mouthful. That has to be a podcast. <laughs> for not major league eating. Yeah, not ma- <laughs> for something else. <laughs> yes. Anyways, <laughs> moving on from that. Moving right along, uh, we spoke last week of the ridiculous success that the itch.io bundle for racial justice inequality was having up to that point. And at the time we spoke about it, there were still some days left on it uh, for it to be available. And it just wrapped up earlier this week. So we have a final tally to bring you for the itch.io bundle for racial justice and equality. And it's absolutely gonzo. Yeah, it's astronomical. So their goal was $5 million. Um, they raised $8.1 million. Specifically, $8,173,129.03. Uh, 
How do you get just three cents? Well, I don't know. Exi- well, because y- you're supposed to pay at least $5. So people probably want to pay some specific custom amount or something. Like there might be people, you know, buying, spending $33.33 because threes are their thing or something. Who knows? People do weird things. True enough. So that's just what I, where I'm thinking things were at. But, uh, yeah. Over $8 million. Good lord. Congratulations to them and good on everyone who participated. Good on everyone who contributed to this. Uh, over 800,000 people. I believe the final total was, uh, just over 810,000 people. Yeah, 814,736 contributors. Of which I was not one. I forgot when the end date was, and I... And you missed out. I missed out. You missed out on a once-of-a-lifetime deal. Yeah, on a bananas deal. I I feel like I'm a bit of a huckster for using that phrase, but this really seems like a a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Yeah. Like, yeah, like 1,700 games for five bucks. Like, the only time that you would have ever saw stuff like this was back in the old crappy shareware days and there'd be like hundreds of garbage games on a disc that maybe weren't even the full copies of games. True enough. So, or if you managed to get Action 52 replay for uh, a crazy deal, but even then that was uh, a not fully legitimate NES cartridge and well, uh, that one was, but oh, there there sorry. was yeah, that one was the licensed one, but there were other like made in China ones that had, you know, 101 kind of games on them and those were not licensed. And they were cheap, but for a reason. Yeah. So this was completely ridiculous. The average contribution was $10.30. The top... $10.03. $10.03. The uh, top contribution was $5,000. Yes. So uh, contributions all over the map for this, but good on everyone involved in that final total of $8,175,403.03 is going to be divided equally between the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, as well as the Community Bail Fund. So good on everyone involved for that. If you missed out on, I believe the savings amounted to like 99.75% off the, you know, the sum total of all the games involved and the, uh, you know, contributioner. It was something like that. The minimum contribution is, really was as good as free. Yeah, pretty much. For what that bundle was. So if you missed out on that, boo earns to you. You missed out on supporting some some great causes in this time that uh, seem to be more needed now than ever, or at least, well, more visibly needed now more than ever, as, uh, well, more instances of their need have come to, well, the public consciousness in the past several weeks. So, uh, but if you missed out on that itch.io bundle, Humble Bundle is uh, stepping up to release their own bundle as well. They were kind of beat out of the gate, perhaps caught a bit flat-footed, but nevertheless, they are stepping up as well. They are offering what they call a Fight for Racial Justice charity bundle. Uh, this is a special one-week bundle that contains over 1200 U.S. dollars worth of games, books, and comics which you can nab for a minimum $30 U.S. donation. So that is good. And it, uh, it, this bundle is doing very well, uh, as well. Maybe not as 
cuckoo bananas as the HIO bundle was, but this is still proving to be very successful in its own right. Yeah, um, this one, yeah, they launched it, what, a couple days ago? And it's currently, as of the time of recording here, we record, we're recording Thursday evening, uh, the 18th of June, uh, $2.4 million. So $2,408,443. That's what, uh, that's what they're currently at. So there's four days left. So if you're listening to this, get on that one. I'll probably get on this one myself. And this one carries uh, more than just games, which, uh, as I said, there's books. Uh, there's DRM-free books, DRM-free comics, uh, DRM-free games. And uh, of the books and comics, uh, many of them are done by African-American authors, illustrators, or of uh, topics and subjects certainly relating to the fight for racial justice. Absolutely. And this one, the charities it supports are LDF, Race Forward, and the Bail Project as well. So Yes, the, the LDF being the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Yes, absolutely. So, so, again, great causes. Yep. That you are supporting. But one of the things we spoke of last week in terms of uh, the gaming community and gaming corporations stepping up with, uh, with dollars and not just words was that Niantic, of all companies had pledged to donate a minimum of $5 million uh, from proceeds that they received through the sale of Pokemon Go Fest 2020 tickets, which normally they'd sell and people would gather in some locations around the world and there'd be big Pokemon Go hunts and everyone would have a, a grand old time. In this the year of the COVIDs, that's not really a thing that can happen, so they're making it a digital and virtual event, but they're still going to be selling tickets and access to this event. And it is from those ticket sales that Niantic uh, has said they will contribute a minimum of $5 million. In the wake of that, the Pokemon company stepped up and said they will match Niantic's donation of a minimum of $5 million. Yeah, so that's 10 more million dollars right there for um, the donations and or the various charities that they're going to be supporting. No specific charities, of course, were named for this, but uh, Niantic had previously pledged $100,000 to both NWACP and Black Lives Matter, so we're probably going to see, you know, the NWACP Legal Defense Fund again. We're, gonna, we're probably going to see the Bail Project. We're probably going to see a few other of these things. They're all good causes, as far as I can tell. I mean, I'm not an American, so I don't really fully know, but they look like they're the ones that are legit and good and doing the work. So Absolutely. So good on these companies for stepping up these gaming companies, putting millions of dollars where their mouth where their mouths are. Yeah. Which is more than just some some empty words and platitudes and uh, uh, statements put out by how many other countless corporations over the past, you know, two, three weeks. Uh, th- this does a whole lot more than changing your avatar or your profile picture on Instagram or some social media page. Yeah, absolutely. These are steps that will help uh, impact many more people's lives. So uh, good on everyone involved. There's no, there's nothing bad out of these uh, announcements. It, it's bad that they have to happen. Yeah. But it is a simple fact of our world as it exists at this moment. And hopefully these are steps that will, uh, help bring it to uh, a point in time where these things aren't needed. And uh, wouldn't that be 
Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But uh, we spoke of the Pokemon company right there, and you may have heard that earlier this week they put out one of their video presentations, their own Nintendo Direct, which there's there's no one term, there's no noun for what these things are. It's a video release of... Infomercial, my friend. They're infomercials. Fair enough. (laughs) Infomercial. Yes, they put out their own infomercial about this. They did. But, see, there's no direct call to action. There, there's no command to have people, you know, call because the operators are standing by. Yeah, you know, prices do include shipping and handling. And and then if you call within the next ten minutes, then you get this extra bonus cleaning kit of, <laughs> you know, a second bottle of... You get uh, a second bottle of a thing for free, and you get the brush that comes with it, too? Yes. Wow. The, a second brush as well? <laughs> now I really have to call within the next ten minutes. Oh, man. But wait, if I call within the next five minutes, they'll take one payment off as well. How can I lose? How can I lose? It's a steal of a deal. (laughs) So the Pokemon company put out their own infomercial this week, uh, and the big takeaways from it were two game announcements. Uh, They do not have... Well, one does not have a release date. The other one is already available. One is coming to the Switch. The other one is not. One is a new edition, new interpretation of an old game from the N64. The other one is kind of batshit crazy, but more for parents. So let's talk about talk about the uh, the one that treads on nostalgia first. Yeah. So if you are of a certain age, meaning you know around our age or within within five seven years of our age, you'd probably and you remember playing an N64 when you were younger. You probably remember at some point, at the very least, trying out Pokemon Snap. Absolutely. Maybe you rented it, maybe you borrowed it from a friend, maybe you played it at a friend's house in their basement. And hopefully you didn't buy it, because there wasn't much to the game. There was not. It was a very simple, unique, but simple concept. Very short game. Yes, it was. Very short game. It absolutely was a short game, but the premise being you are a photographer on a Pokemon Safari. Yeah, and the safari is basically just an on-rails experience that lasts, what, 15 minutes, maybe? Maybe. Depending how many times you want to go through. Yeah, and the whole time Pokemon are kind of coming out, you have to kind of snap photos, and at the end of it, you're sort of judged on your photos. Now, there are different uh, items you could get to try and toss out to entice them into different poses, maybe bring them closer to your vehicle. Uh, there would be secrets uh, of what you could do to try and get some other Pokemon in different poses. And at the end, you'd be judged by Professor Oak, the judgy bastard he is, yeah. uh, on the quality and image of uh, your photographs on your safari. Very, very simple. Unique concept, but simple concept, and we haven't really seen or heard anything about it since uh, the late 90s in the heyday of Pokemania when it came out. That was until this week when the Pokemon company, in their infomercial, showed off new Pokemon Snap. It's, as the name says, it's a new Pokemon Snap. Yeah. This one is coming to the Switch, and it is... The exact same idea. And this time, it's got a new hat. <laughs> but, yeah, so, it, yeah, I mean, it looks apparently relatively similar. You travel on a set route through an environment filled with Pokemon. 
you're aiming for the best camera shots of the creatures. And yeah, there's a larger variety of Pokemon this time around, I guess because of less limitations of hardware and whatever else that you can, that you have access to with the Switch. Um, but yeah, apparently you still use apples to lure Pokemon out. So that's still a constant. Pokemon apparently love apples. And you can still hit the Pokemon with the apples. Yeah. They may not like it. Who cares? Who cares? They're Pokemon. There's going to be more of them. <laughs> uh. Oh, no, that one ran away. Well, whatever, get them next time, because I'm playing through a couple of times. Yeah. We'll get them on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, uh, one of the new features of this new Pokemon Snap is that at the end of the Safari ride, it leads you right into the Pokemon gift shop, where you have to spend real-world money on Pokemon Shoshkis and Brick-A-Brack to commemorate your experience. Every playthrough. Every single playthrough. You have to buy a Pokemon mug. And there's a $5 minimum. Yes. Yes. And if you want a bag, it's a dollar extra. Also, at the start of the safari, your picture is taken. That's right. And when, when you're at the gift shop, they basically present you with this picture with that, you know, one of those, you know, tacky backgrounds Mm -hmm. that's kind of replaced. Well, you got your choice of three backgrounds. Right, I, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's it's you in uh, I think you in a waterfall with a, a couple of water Pokemon surrounding you. You're in the sky with some flying Pokemon. Uh, there's a, oh, the volcano background has proved to be really popular with all the fire Pokemon. Right, and then there's another one. Just for some reason, you're in the hot air balloon with uh, Team Rocket. True enough. Yeah. Not as popular. Not as popular. That one's really, they don't like that one. No, but uh, that set's going to cost you about $25, or you can uh, upscale, uh, sorry, you can uh, uh, get the larger print and the uh, more durable photo frame. That's an extra $15. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah, we, we, we have gone on touristy things before, and we know the sales pitch. Yeah, we, we've, all, we've all done that crap. This is... We're, we're bullshitting you right now, by the way. That, that's not... There's no gift shop <laughs> no at the gift end. gift shop, but can just imagine. I can totally see there being a gift shop at the end. Oh, yeah. At this point, there's not a gift shop, but this is maybe giving someone some ideas. Yeah. Now, from what they showed of the game, I mean, there's a lot more Pokemon, just because in this day and age, there's seven to 800 Pokemon. Back then, in the N64 days, there was 151. So, yes, there's a lot more Pokemon to choose from, the environments look a lot more bright, colorful, lush environment compared to the N64, which could not represent 3D objects that great. Mm, no, not really. Without making everyone's ass look blocky. <laughs> yeah, the N64. Well, I mean... It was a technical limitation. But when it first came out, it was mind-blowing. I mean, you remember when it first came out? The first time you played Mario 64 must have been like, holy crap. Oh, God, at the uh, demo kiosk in... In Toys R Us? Toys R Us or Blockbuster or Zellers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the hard thing would be getting on the demo kiosk because everyone would be standing there just willing, just playing away the, their time. Yeah. I remember when I, you know, spent all of my birthday money buying in N64 and... Yeah, it was mind-blowing. You did not waste your money. No, I didn't. That was a good purchase. Yeah. Uh, now, if you had wasted your birthday <laughs> money on Pokemon Snap... I did not buy Pokemon Snap. I rented Pokemon Snap, beat it in 15 minutes, and it was one of those games, one of the rare games, where I took it back to the rental place the day I rented it, going, I'd like to exchange this. <laughs> and then they, you know, did. But it was like the 
that stupid thing where it's like, I'm not going to play this game for the seven days or whatever I have it for. Give me a new game. This sucks. <laughs> you did the right thing. Yeah. But uh, it'll. I'm sure there will be new experiences, uh, ways you can post online to your social media accounts. Yeah, probably. They'll probably have multiple safaris as well, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So with the different types of Pokemon, you want to maybe represent different types of environments and stuff. Yes, instead of just one single ride that you go through, which is what happened in the old Pokemon Snap, I'm sure they'll break this up into the jungle environment, the grasslands, the water. Uh, Perhaps you literally will be in a hot air balloon as you see the uh, and soar amongst the flying Pokemon. Yeah, maybe. And then take a picture with Team Rocket for $25 at the end. (laughs) With Jesse and James. Hmm. And then they can sell it to you on a mug for another $20. Yeah, the mug will just be Meowth's face. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so that's new Pokemon Snap. No release date for that yet. Even at the very end of the footage shown, it uh, says it's under construction. Uh, that's a game I can see doing very well when it comes out. I mean, it plays on the nostalgia of uh, Pokemon Snap from old. Pokemon still very popular, gaining new generations of fans with uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield on the Switch. And also, it's just a really relaxing concept. Uh, much as we might malign the very simple uh, approach and gameplay of it, it's actually very relaxing. And I think that maybe is one of the uh, reasons why Animal Crossing's New Horizons has done so well. It's just a relaxing game. It's very calm. Uh, There's a a soothing, just sedate element to it. So if you had a long day, you can just come home, relax, and just take some Pokemon pictures. Yeah, it's like meditation. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just completely unwind and let the stress of the day flow out of you, but uh, if you're a parent, you certainly know the stress of getting your youngin ready for bed. And that's a choice you've made. Yep. Absolutely a choice you've made, but uh, the Pokemon Company is here to try and help with that with this new app, this new gameplay experience called Pokemon Smile, and what it is, it's an AR Pokemon experience where you prop your smartphone up in a hol- in a holster, some sort of stand, alongside the sink, hope your kid doesn't knock it into the water, the toilet, the garbage can, whatever, because that's going to happen. Yep, it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. And it uses the front-facing camera to show your toddler or whomever is brushing their teeth, maybe an adult. We're not judging. Uh, I mean, I'm probably going to try it <laughs> if it's free. I'm not going to lie. It is totally free. <laughs> no for in no in app purchases they stress that point at the end in the text on the screen and you follow along and you're kind of playing a game uh because the game will kind of see as you're uh brushing your teeth and then you'll have to try and brush in a corresponding area to what is shown on the screen to defu- to defeat cavity creatures or cavity causing creatures to uh, rescue the cutesy little hand drawn ish pokemon that's uh, a character on the screen and then if you succeed at the end of the timer, then you'll be able to capture that Pokemon, add them to your Pokedex, get a different Pokemon every time. I believe there's over 100 available. You can then also be uh, someone who can unlock different hats in the game. So as you're playing it, uh, it will show you, uh, you know, on the screen, but wearing a different Pokemon hat. I think the ones I saw in the uh, in the video, there was a Pikachu hat. And there was a Magikarp hat. Good. Oh, man. I'm sure you can unlock other hats, but once you have Magikarp, you have no need for anything else. Your life and teeth-brushing experience is complete. So, 
the funniest part of this to me, there's always comedy in the small print. The small print for this <laughs> game. I mean, I, I always find it funny that they have to put statements like these in, you know, like kind of like a, like a disclaimer or whatever. But in the small print in the game's trailer, they wrote, this app is not intended to prevent or treat cavities, nor does it guarantee that players will gain a liking for toothbrushing or make it a habit. <laughs> Like, as if that would ever actually be a thing. Like, like, oh, this game's about, you know, quitting smoking. It's a guaranteed stuff. No, like, no, nothing is a guarantee when you're talking about behaviors. Like, come on. But I, I, it's funny that they have to put that because you know that there's going to be people that will try to test that to be like, my kid hates brushing their teeth. This, I got this Pokemon app because, you know, they like Pokemon and they still hate brushing their teeth. This is unreasonable. I'm gonna. <laughs> I think the opposite. If they went the opposite way uh, in the fine print at the end, would be just as funny. Where it, uh, where it's if it at the end said, you know, caution. This may be habit forming. <laughs> caution. Your kid may want to brush their teeth a hundred times a day. Ah! <laughs> this Which I mean, is is also a problem. If you talk to any dentist, they're gonna say. There's probably a maximum number of times you should be brushing your teeth a day because of, you know, you don't want to be causing damage to your teeth or gums or whatever. Exactly. You don't want to be wearing down the enamel from excess brushing, damaging your gum line, causing it to bleed or whatnot, but, you know. Warning. This is habit forming. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll do it then. Sounds cool now. I wasn't going to before, but you sold me Pokemon Smile. Oh, also in, in typical... Uh, anything dental-related fashion, the logo for this Pokemon Smile game is the standard Pokemon wordmark we've all known and seen for 25 years. Yep. Underneath it, the word smile has a curved baseline. <laughs> of course it does. To mimic a smile. <laughs> lazy design. It's like insanely lazy design. Lazy, lazy, lazy design. I wonder if graphic designers covet those those jobs though, because they know that it's going to be a chance to just do that stupid lame cliche. So you're saying it's easy money. I don't know if it's easy money or if it's just sort of like a funny thing. It's like, Oh good. I get to do a dental job. I get to, I get to do an ad for a dental office. I'm going to make one of these words, a stupid smile. There's nothing anyone's going to say that's bad about this. Cause that's probably what they want. <laughs> That's got to be one of the tropes. If you're a graphic designer and you get one of those, you know, dental office jobs or anything dental related for a, a dental hygienist or a, a dental product, uh, something has to be curved. A word has to be curved into uh, like resembling a smile, smile uh, or there's some sort of tooth yeah. with like a sparkle. Yeah. Or there's like words are written on teeth. Yes. It's another one. Yes. Or there's some sort of toothbrush. Yeah. That is perhaps separating... Uh, or bisecting two pieces of text. <laughs> yeah. Those are the three hallmarks of dental design. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all seen these things in ads and stuff before. On signs as you're driving by dentistry places. Do- Dr. Miller's dentist office. Yeah, exactly. Turn left here. <laughs> Turn left for a beautiful smile. Yeah. Good God. So Pokemon Smile is available now. Actually, if I'm being honest, though, there is there's a denture clinic in Winnipeg, 
that I'm specifically thinking of. I'm not going to name them, but they're not paying us. They're not paying us, but there's one specifically that has every, I think it has two or three of the hallmarks in their logo. Does it have big red lips? I think it does. We'll research this after. Yes. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yes. Almost immediately coming to mind. (laughs) So there's that as well. Oh, you can also uh, take pictures, take selfies in this game as well, and decorate it with uh, digital Pokemon stickers and do stuff with them after that. You can also set reminders and a bit of a schedule for your toothbrushing regimen. Makes sense. To uh, keep uh, you or your youngin on uh, on task with this. You or your youngin? Yes. The game doesn't really care one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, if you still need to be reminded to brush your teeth every day, that's uh, that's on you, and maybe this is the thing that you need. Caution, this is not habit-forming, though. <laughs> Caution, this is... <laughs> it, it can this, only help you so much. This does not prevent or treat cavities, either, so... <laughs> I'm not sure... It's a game! It's not directly interacting with your teeth! It's, a, it's not just a game, it's a game... On a screen, on a phone. It's not even a game that involves your mouth. It's not something you put in your mouth. Like <laughs> Pokemon Smile with dentifrice. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> like, what are you... Really? Anyways. Uh, of course, I wait for the expansion. Pokemon Smile, Fresh Mint. <laughs> yes. Mm, and Winter Mint, but... Uh, let's, let's move off from that, uh, that's funny into, uh, let's just go into another section where we can have some funny. Let's move into the blast from the past, if we will. That moment on the show where we take some time to fetch things, uh, having a milestone anniversary, things that we want to talk about and think that you deserve to know, uh, either because they are just that awesome or that weird or some combination of the two. And the one item we have for you this week, I feel, falls right between those two ends of the spectrum. Because it is so awesome and, and or because it is so weird, this week we are marking the 35th anniversary of Weird Al Yankovic releasing his third album to the world, Dare to be Stupid. Yeah. Um, so, Weird Al, well-known artist, uh, song parodyist, uh, third album. And this was kind of in the 80s when he was banging out records. Yeah, absolutely. And Dare to be Stupid, I think in and of itself now, is a classic song. Like, I think when people think of Weird Al, they might think Dare to be Stupid as one of the songs. Absolutely. It's a concert staple. Yeah, it was one of, like, the standout hits of the album. I mean, this was the same one that had, you know, Like a Surgeon, Yoda, and uh, I'm on a new duck on it. Which, you know, like... Well, I Want a New Duck is perhaps the weakest of the parodies. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just kind of a lazy parody of I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis in the News. Whatever. But, yeah, like, Like a Surgeon, classic. Yoda, classic. Like, both still concert staples. Absolutely. But Dare to be Stupid, also concert staple. And it's kind of interesting, though. We've talked about Weird Al at length on this program before. But one of the things that I guess throughout his career, Weird Al has sort of been plagued with is people being like, when are you going to write any original songs? And it's like half of his music is original music. It's just kind of parodying a style of a thing. Dare to be Stupid is not actually a parody of a Devo song. It's a Weird Al Yankovic written song. 
Which many people will not know. No, but now you do. It is in the style of... It's in the style of Devo, yes. Like, he called them style parodies. Like, I guess it's where he kind of, like, writes a song that sounds like it could have been written originally by a certain artist, but it's actually written by him. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. This this is a Weird Al Yankovic original creation. And perhaps one of the reasons that uh, this song, Dare to Be Stupid, the title track, has really stood the test of time and become one of his concert staples is, well, one, repetition by being a concert staple and just being present at his shows because there is a large visual component to that song as well. Absolutely. With all him and his band uh, dressed up in very Devo-esque garb. Yep. But two, the... Uh, I mean, Devo was a huge, huge, considered, you know, at the time to be a one-hit wonder, but still a huge one-hit wonder. Oh, yeah. Even though their history, you know, they have great music and songs beyond that, but in terms of commercial success. Yeah, in terms of commercial success, they had, what, Whip It, and that's pretty much it? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But, but Whip It was absolutely a, like, ginormous song. Yeah, Whip It was huge, and then, like, you know, Mark Mothersbaugh went on later to kind of define 90s cartoon, like, television by basically being a composer for a lot of things, including the Rugrats. He's probably had a more prolific career as a composer for uh, for music and television than he did with Devo. Yeah. It's been a longer career, uh, uh, comparatively, but... Uh, and Dare to be Stupid... Uh, is just catchy. It's infectious. It's fun. But the subject matter, matter in the lyrics of what Weird Al does in that style of parody are timeless. They are not very much set in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, musically, yes, it sounds like it's still very much from the 80s, but uh, lyrically, no. Uh, it, it is uh, some timeless wordplay he's uh, working out there. And uh, that, of course... The title track, Dare to be Stupid, but as you mentioned, uh, some other good uh, parodies on there, uh, like A Surgeon, uh, I Want a New Duck, which is eh. Now, here's the thing about Weird Al albums, especially in his early career, uh, there'd be a couple really big hits that you'd hear about and really help carry him, and then there'd be some maybe less than stellar efforts. Yeah. Which... I dare say, is a byproduct of the release schedule he had in the 80s. Yeah, and also, I think, I think like, really, record labels back then, he, like, he's not the only one that fell victim to this type of thing either. Like, a lot of people who, like, I, I would say that in the 80s, artists, pop artists, were sort of, like, chewed through by, by record labels, really, and it's just kind of, like, because of Weird Al's ability and professionalism was maybe how he was able to get through that era really but yeah like he <laughs> he was basically releasing an album every year yeah about that because he had polka party he had in 3D um didn't wasn't it one of well, his 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 first album weird al yankovic was 83 weird al yankovic in 3D was 84 dare to be stupid was 85 uh, Polka Party was 86. Even worse was... And then it started to slow down. Even worse was 88, when he kind of... He was almost as popular as Michael Jackson, where 
recognizability wise, like you, like Michael Jackson was like the king of pop, and then you would have Weird Al, who everyone also knew. So he was sort of like copying Michael Jackson a bit at that point too. But yeah, kind of a hectic schedule. An album a year is quite a lot. Absolutely, and uh, I know that's something uh, I recall. We've spoken about before when fetching previous Judas Priest albums from the 80s. Judas Priest, another act that is immediately coming to my my mind as one that just cranked out albums almost an album a year through portions of the 80s. Yeah. And Judas Priest would have more than one songwriter. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, in Judas Priest, like, at their heyday, I mean, it's not so much now because their lineup has splintered and changed a bit, but in their heyday... It was the triumvirate, as they would call it, of K.K. Downing, Glenn Tipton, and Rob Halford, who would all kind of, like, put all their heads together and just work on songs. So that's three three heads working on music, whereas, like, Weird Al was Weird Al. It's him. Yeah. He writes his own words. Yeah. He writes all the words. He writes the music as well for his original style parodies and stuff. True, too. Like, there's behind-the-scenes footage of him actually like being serious in the studio and it's crazy like how much of a producer he actually is like here like yeah it's if you think he's just sort of a joke and just whatever singer no he knows his stuff like he's he's legit he's had a lifetime in music yeah and uh underappreciated is his musicality and his uh, musical sensibilities i say uh but it's on display. If he wrote the music for the original style parodies, then he'd be responsible entirely for Dare to be Stupid. Yep. And that's a good song. Yeah, it's, it's a classic a song. song. Yeah. But yeah. Um, a good classic uh, Weird Al album. Uh, I'm sure part of the reason he was on the, the Wicked and Wild release schedule he was through the 80s Probably also to uh, just strike while the iron was hot because he was blowing up in success. And I think, what, after this, you said there was uh, uh, Polka Party. Yeah, and Polka Party in 86, and then in 88 was even worse. Yeah, I think Polka Party is uh, kind of when it went down as an album because that was the tail end of four albums in four years. Yeah. And then, yeah, Polka Party in and of itself, in my opinion, was maybe one of his weaker albums. I think that's fair. Yeah, like, that had, like, Living with a Hernia and, like, yeah, like, that was basically the standout song, which is like, ugh, okay. Well, mind you, Christmas at Ground Zero is also on that album, so it's kind of like, balance, great classic song, Christmas at Ground Zero, Weird Al Yankovic original, I might say. True, too. And Living with a Hernia, a parody of Living in America by James Brown, just kind of a lazy parody, really, at that. But, yeah, I guess it is what it is, right? It is what it is, but uh, it, it is the 30th, 35th anniversary of Dare to be Stupid, Weird Al's third uh, studio album release, uh, still when he was still so young, so baby-faced, and still wearing a mustache. Absolutely. And glasses. Yep. And uh, big curly fro. Yes. And now he's got none of those things. No. My, how time has changed him. Time and money has changed him. Time and money has changed the great Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> so, thankfully, it's not changed either of us here on the arcade. <laughs> yeah, time has not changed us at all. Certainly money hasn't changed us. <laughs> no. What <But> money? <laughs> we'd be open to that concept. And, 
having a new podcast that explores just how our lives would change when being beset with a huge windfall of money. If you are someone who can make that happen, feel free to contact us, info at thearcadeshow.com, which is also how you can get in touch with with us for uh, any other questions, comments, concerns uh, that uh, may have arisen out of this program or any previous program. But speaking of programs, a special programming note, we're going to be off on a bit of a summer break for the next two weeks. And we will intend to return with a new episode for you the week of Friday, July 10th. As uh, we're getting into the end of June, early July, uh, we'll just take a bit of time to maybe get outside and uh, enjoy some reasonable amounts of uh, sun time to uh, work on our pasty, pasty tans. Yeah, maybe get some barbecuing in or smoking. Smoking meats, (laughs) barbecuing meats. So we're just going to leave it at smoking. Just smoking cigarettes. You know, yeah, just, just uh, enjoying some uh, Virginia Slims. <laughs> it's bikini season after this is all. It's bikini season after all. So it... <laughs> Anyways. No, we're not advocating smoking to no. lose weight. That's terrible. Caution. Those are habit forming. <laughs> those are habit forming. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, we'll be off uh, enjoying our own summertime activities and hopefully you will find time to enjoy your own summertime activities and uh, we will join back with you in a couple weeks hence. But in the meantime, you can also get in touch with us through social medias. We are on the Twitter machine at the arcade show and on the evil Facebook machine. Facebook.com slash The Arcade Show. And uh, if you haven't already, you can take time at any point in the next two weeks to subscribe to our program on both iTunes and Google Play in the podcast store. There are direct links to our pages on both of those platforms can be found on TheArcadeShow.com. So until next time, good night, everybody. Good night.